Amen. We have to start now. <clears throat> Let's come to enjoy hymn number 
Amen. Oh, this Amen. is so beautiful. Amen. Lord, I treasure the sweet flow of life. Oh, and my soul life. At last I lay down. Oh, Amen. Lord, deepen the pure flow of life. At your coming, Amen. may life be our crown. Amen. 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 You called me one day to the holiest place to live in your presence divine. Hallelujah. My word and encouraging word, abide, you're a branch in the vine. Amen. 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 No more struggle and strength. All self-effort is vain. We are perfectly blessed. Amen. Amen. Jesus called us one day to the holiest place to live in his presence divine. Amen. 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 Oh Lord, from my spirit within, that yes. is my spirit within, flows a fountain of life. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, from my spirit. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes. there's a fountain of life. Amen. Even this fountain is the triune God flowing Amen. in me. Amen. Amen. God the Father is the source. Christ the Son is the force. And the Spirit is God's life to me. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's enjoy this hymn again. This hymn talking about this fountain of life explore from my spirit within me. I thought that fountain flow from the throne far in eternity. But this hymn is talking about this fountain is from within my spirit not far from not far from far but from deep deep within me and then that flowing is trying god flowing uh, there's a flow in on the throne no doubt but today there's a throne in my spirit that flowing is from my spirit and then flow through the entire being of my through the entire being and then verse 2 flows me into the church life. This fountain of life flows. Bring me. That flow brought me to enjoy the church life. In the fresh tender grass, Jesus makes me lie down. What is that? That is in the church life we have our real rest. Amen. He lead us. That flows lead us to enjoy the broadcast to God's house. And then in verse 3, this flow brings us back to the Holy of Holies. Oh, Lord, amen. Is that good that Jesus called me one day to the holiest place? This flow from my spirit flow to the church life and flow to the holiest place that I may enjoy his presence divine. 
Amen. The church life brought us to the holiest place. Amen. He wants us to be in him. Not only believing in him, but believe into him. That he brought us to the holiest place. Let's sing this hymn again. Amen.
Second Corinthians. Well, by the way, since I'm not in Pretoria now, I'm here in Mozambique, in Maputo. That's why my background is a bit different. But I'm glad that I can enjoy with you, saints. Amen. Adrian, gonna tell us what part we're gonna cover tonight. Amen. Amen. So we're going to. Um... Uh, be reading um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 15 to, to chapter 2 verse 11. I think Etienne put it on the screen there for us. Thank you, brother. So Etienne, you can break us up in groups, uh, maybe uh, five or six minutes, and then we can read through these verses. And then afterwards, we can also just in our groups, if there's time, we can just have a, a little prayer to the Lord. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So tonight, we continue with this introduction that uh, we started with in chapter one. We saw that Paul has a very long introduction in the book of Second Corinthians. Actually, his introduction in this book is longer than any other book in the Bible. And uh, the reason for this is really the background to the book of Second Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we have the background of 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul had to adjust the saints. He had to address many things. He even had to kind of subdue the Corinthians with many arguments, showing them that their real need was Christ. So he presented Christ in a wonderful way to them. So what we saw last week is that the book of 2 Corinthians is really an autobiography. It's showing us the way that Paul and the other apostles lived. It's showing us the kind of persons that they were. And what I really appreciate about uh, this, this, this the, the, the person that God is after is the fact that God is wanting to produce something within us. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't just want to give us gifts and he doesn't just want to supply us with certain outward things. But what he really is after is that there would be something wrought into our being. There has to be a kind of a, a process through which something gets constituted into us. And that constitution that gets worked into our being, brothers and sisters, that becomes our ministry. That becomes what we then build up the church with. That becomes the very uh, element, the very essence of Christ himself worked into our being that can then be ministered to the saints and to the church for the building up of the church. So the book of 2 Corinthians is really a lot deeper than the book of, uh, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians really is a lot deeper because it shows us 
the process that these apostles were going through. And even it shows us the, the kind of experiences that we as believers are having and, and will have, and that God is arranging in our environment so that he can produce something within us. So when we see this, this will really, uh, I feel this will really help us a lot in our pursuit of the Lord, in our going on with him, and even just in our everyday life, in all the things, then God can work out his economy to, to really produce something so precious in us that will make him so happy. Okay, so in verse 15, Paul is talking about uh, his, in this section that we're covering tonight, he's talking about his coming to the, to the church in Corinth. And so he says, but in this confidence, I intended to come to you. So maybe the church in Corinth, I'm sure there were some believers there who said, Paul said he would come visit us. He hasn't come to visit us. His word is yes or no. How can we trust what he's saying? He's saying that he's coming, but he's not coming. So Paul is, is pointing out to them that he's not, his word to them is not yes and no. He, he says, and in this confidence, what, what confidence is that speaking about? That confidence is what he was speaking of in verses 12, where he said, and our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in singleness and sincerity of God, not in fleshly wisdom. So how did Paul intend to come to them? In this confidence, I intended to come to you. Not in, not in fleshly wisdom. He didn't intend by himself. But his, the way that he conducted himself was in this way, in the singleness and sincerity of God. Not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. So, so this, is, this is how Paul came to them. Not, in, not, 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 not something he conjured up within himself. He didn't consider these things in himself, okay? Then he says that you might have double grace. Now, this double grace is the apostles visiting of the believers, bringing them into the enjoyment of God, becoming their portion of grace. We have seen many times, I believe we've spoken about this, that grace it's just our enjoyment of the triune God. It is, it is God coming to reach us. Grace is God coming to dispense. God coming to give himself to us. That is our, our grace. It's our participation, our partaking of God coming to us, God reaching us and supplying us with himself. So Paul is saying, when I come to you, I'm coming with a double portion. I came to you before. If I come again, there will be a double portion. There will be a, another portion of grace. And brothers, isn't this our experience? Isn't this your experience? When you have the saints coming to your home, I have had many experiences like this. Sometimes my wife and I, we would just be struggling with the kids, trying to cope with everything, feeling like we're drowning. And then the saints would come and visit us. Maybe a couple would come. Or some sisters would visit my, sister, my, my wife. Or, or, or a brother would come and visit me. Saints, my experience is really, that is the sweet visitation of God. That is God coming into our home. I'm sure we have all had this experience. We shouldn't also, uh, we shouldn't think that 
that we are not such ones. Brothers and sisters, there is something of the Lord in you. When you take the time and the effort, even if you feel maybe you've had a terrible day, just going to visit the saints. Sometimes the saints, they would just come to our home and they would just do ordinary things. They would just sit on the couch and read a book to the kids. Or they would they would maybe wash some dishes or something. I don't know. You don't have to go visit the saints and wash their dishes. But the point is just having you in someone else's home makes a big difference. Francis, we, I, I think sometimes we don't realize this treasure that we have within ourselves. So Paul, he realized he had a treasure in him. It wasn't of himself, but he realized when he would come, that would be the sweet visitation of God. This is my experience. When the, when the saints come into my home, that is really God visiting me. Okay, and then he goes on in verse 16, and through you to pass through into Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was a province of the Roman Empire just north of Achaia, and in it there were the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica, which we know Paul also wrote letters to, and be sent forward to you into Judea. This, therefore, intending, did I use fickleness. So this word fickleness, it's like changeableness. Did I use changeableness? In considering coming to you, or the things which I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. So Paul is telling them, listen, do you think that the way that I intend to come to you, do I, do you think I use changeableness? Is this the way that we conducted ourselves? So now in verse eighteen, he goes on to say. But as God is faithful, God is faithful. Our word toward you is not yes and no. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling them, the way that we conducted ourselves, the way that we intended to come to you, it was not yes and no. We didn't, um, that we didn't purpose it according to the flesh. You see verse 18, it begins with the word but. That indicates that it's it's like a contrast, right? He's, he's telling them, you know what how man purposes? So the Corinthians, they used to, they know man. Well, well, how does man purpose? Yes, today, no, tomorrow. Fickleness, changeableness. But Paul says, but as God is faithful. So our, our intending to come to you was in the in the same way that God is faithful. Our intention in our coming to you was not, was not coming to you in, 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 in the way of the flesh, in the way of our own considerations. But our intention was, was in God. And then he goes on in verse, verse 19. For the, and, and even, sorry, verse 18, it says, our word toward you is not yes and no. So he's telling them the way that we conduct ourselves is the same as the way as, as what we preach to you. What we are speaking, what we are ministering, is the same as our the way that we intend, the way that we purpose, the way that we consider to, to, to conduct ourselves. Our preaching is not separate or different from our living. The way that I consider things is the same way that I speak. This is what Paul is telling them. 
Then he goes on in verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you through us, through me and Sylphanus and Timothy, did not become yes and no, but our word has become yes in him. So saints, God is faithful. He never changes, especially in his promises that he has given to us. The promises that God has given to us is in Christ. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has preached, did not become yes and no. So Paul is saying, listen, the way that we are living, the way that we are conducting ourselves, this, this way is, is the same way that when we brought the gospel to you, it was yes. The promises of God was in him. It was yes. In Christ, yes in him. It has become yes in him. How many promises of God are there? Brothers and sisters, the whole, the whole Bible, it's, it's a testament, right? A testament is, is, a, is like a, um, a will. It's, it's you give, you, you tell someone, this is what I have, and this is what I, what I pledge. This is what I test. This is the, the testament. This is my testament. Now, God, he promised many things in the Old Testament to his people. All these promises has become yes in him. I'm so touched by this, that everything that God wants to promise us, everything that God intends for us, it has become yes in him. God's whole intention with man, his, his economy is fulfilled in him sending his son to us. In Christ coming to us, God is, is really giving himself to us. So it says in verse 20, For as many promises of God there are, in him is the yes. So what does this say? As many promises of God as there are. So this is the way that Paul and, and the apostles conducted themselves. This is the way that they uh, intended to come to the, to the Corinthians. The way they intended to come to them was according to the faithfulness of God, according to the promises of God, which has become yes in him. With God, there is not yes and no. God doesn't promise, I will give to you eternal life. And then all of a sudden, he decides, he changes his mind. This is not the way that God works. God doesn't, God doesn't say, I will give you abundant life. And then, and then he changes his mind. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you abundant life. God doesn't say, my grace is sufficient for you. And then all of a sudden, he changes his mind. And all of a sudden, his grace is insufficient. Brothers and sisters, the promises of God are yes in him. This, this has to really, I, I, I feel like Paul is, uh, is almost, uh, he, he's almost telling the, the Corinthians, listen, you're thinking I'm conducting myself in this way 
And so maybe this will cause you to doubt in God's promises. So God is telling them, you, the, what God said you will do, this is the way I even conduct myself. Because God is faithful. My intention, the way I intend, is in the faithfulness of God. It is not according to human, what does he say? According to the flesh. He doesn't do these things according to himself or according to his own ability. So even the promises of God, these things are not according to man. It's according to God. So then he says, in him is the yes. Therefore also through him is the amen to God. So what happens is all of the promises of God has found their fulfillment in Christ. In him is the yes. And now when we receive this Christ and we say amen to God, that is our response. Through him is the amen to God. So now there's a response to God. And then he says, for glory through us to God. So now God is glorified in our response. And he's saying us. So he's saying it's not just it's not just us as apostles, but here he's, he's referring to us as the apostles and the believers. So as the apostles and the believers are receiving this Christ as the, the, the fulfillment of all the promises of God, now that there's a response within us back to God. In, in him, through him is the amen to God. Now there is this amen. Now there's this response to God which glorifies God. Now there's this response that, that, that says, yes, in God is the amen. In Christ is the amen. In, in this son that God has sent, all of God's promise is fulfilled. This is what I need. This is our need, brothers and sisters. This is what God intends to give to us, is he intends to give to us the fulfillment of all the promises in Christ. But then he goes on and he says, but the one who firmly attaches us with you unto Christ, but the one who firmly attaches us. So Paul is saying, listen, the way that I'm conducting myself is in the faithfulness of God. So he's basically showing the Corinthian believers a picture of what it is to live Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he showed them all these different aspects of Christ. And basically, the point is that God is after the church. God is after a collective people who are participating in Christ, enjoying Christ, and then living Christ out. This is what the church is. The church is not some kind of human outward organization according to the flesh or according to human, uh, uh, what, what does he say in verse 12, fleshly wisdom. The church is something that is a response of God's people receiving Christ as the yes and then responding in the amen to become something so precious to God. So, so Paul is telling them, listen, the Lord is all this kind of expression among his people in 1 Corinthians. He says it in a, in a more, more in a basic way, maybe. So in 2 Corinthians, now he's telling them, this is the way that we live. We do not live. We do not intend. 
we do not conduct ourselves according to human wisdom, according to our philosophy or something. Our living is, is really in the faithfulness of God. So as God is faithful, so we are faithful. It's not, it's not that, that, that Paul is saying out of himself. But now he says, but the one who firmly attaches us is God. So he, he, here he, he says, listen, I conducted myself, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the faithfulness of God. According to the faithfulness of God, this is how I live. But you know who, who attached me? It wasn't myself. It was altogether God. It is God who attaches us. It is God who, who it's all on God's side. It is God who works this out. It is not according to my, my effort. In fact, brothers and sisters, out of ourselves, we would probably uh, not seek after God at all. But because it is God who attaches us, he's reached us. Now, there was a way for God in the apostles. Now the apostles, they became one with the, with the sweet flow of the triune God. Oh, this flow that we sang about tonight. This flow now began to flow through them and began to be expressed through them. But they recognized the one who attaches us is God. The one who does this is not of us. It is not us. It is not of us. It is God. Amen. So now they were able to to conduct themselves in this way because they've been attached to God. Because they've been attached to God, they can conduct themselves in the faithfulness of God. Even as, it's, as Paul said in verse 9, he said, um, indeed we ourselves at the response of death in ourselves that we would not base our confidence on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul is kind of showing, even here I feel like he's, 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 he's just showing the, the, the Corinthian believers the way that he, that he lived. We, we, we didn't, we had no confidence. The Lord put us in a situation that we would lose all trust in ourselves, that we would trust in the God of resurrection. And you know what? God has attached us to him. Now we can live in the resurrection life of Christ. We can live a, a life of resurrection. We can live in the resurrection of Christ because we've been attached to Christ. Because we've been attached to him, now God is, even, I don't know, maybe the Lord, he just arranges all of these things. He, he, he needs to bring us to the point where we lose that kind of confidence in our flesh, that we would no longer conduct ourselves according to our own wisdom. Of course, if we have many ways to go out to to find a way to 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 arrange to to just make plans to get out of every situation, it's difficult for us to trust in God. Eventually, we need to come to this point where we realize the promises are yes in Him. This is the way that that the apostles conduct themselves. I realize this is he's he's, he's telling them. You're considering even such a thing as, as, as me coming to you. I do not do this in myself. Brothers and sisters, when we get married, I don't know, maybe 
I'm sure we all had this experience. But before you get married, you pray a lot. You fellowship a lot. You speak to many brothers, fellowship with the saints, pray with your, your future spouse, pray together, really seek the Lord. You really are. I, at least for me, I was very desperate. I, this is something very crucial in our human life. Okay, this is not something we just we just do, uh, you know, like, uh, oh, oh, today I'm going to get married. It's just, uh, you know, oh, I, I, there's this person. No, 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 no. This is something we really don't want. We really are seeking the Lord, right? But maybe if you go visit another locality or district, you don't really, you know, consider praying fast for a week. Maybe you just feel like, okay. But Paul says, even in such a small thing as going to visit somewhere, I don't conduct myself in, in, in fleshly wisdom. I just realized, Lord, how many things do I do I live this way? Is this my kind of expression? Is this the way that I, I, I intend things? I consider things according to human wisdom? Oh, I have some wisdom. I have some human experiences. But really, I hope that we all have this experience that the more we go on, the more we realize, Lord, I don't know what I need. I don't know even what my children need. What environment is best for them? What school should they go to? Lord, even their friends are in your hands. I, I just, Lord, I have to learn to, to be in you, to find the promises of God in you. I, I need to learn to conduct myself in Christ. Paul learned this. Okay, so let me go on a little bit. So he says in verse 21, but the one who firmly attaches us with you unto Christ Okay, so he's saying God is attaching us, not just to Christ. Okay, to Christ, that's good. But unto Christ is deeper because it, it has the thought of with a view to, with an intention. Like when the Lord justifies us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we are becoming clear that justification is not God's goal. But justification is unto life. Yes, God saved us. I even appreciate that verse in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that those who believed into him would not, would not perish, right? And then that's where, that's where my thought ended. Oh, I'm not going to perish, praise the Lord. But would have eternal life. That's God. There's an unto. There's a view. Our justification is with the view unto life. Just like this, God is not just attaching us to Christ, but there's not just an attachment, but there's an unto. There's a, there's a view to. God wants us to be in Christ. He wants us to, he wants the, the, the church to actually become a corporate entity living and expressing Christ. This is what the disciples, this is what the apostles, sorry, this is what the apostles are, 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 are conveying to the church in Corinth. Listen, we were, we were attached unto Christ. We lived in a union with him. In our intention in coming to you, we were, we were attached in Christ. This is the way we conduct ourselves and live. And then he goes on and he says, this one, and he's not just speaking here about themselves. He's also speaking about us as believers. Okay has anointed us as God. So how do we get the anointing? How does God anoint us? 
the anointing is a spontaneous issue of the attaching. When we get attached to God, you know what happens? We get anointed. We get anointed. And you know what the anointing is? The anointing is Christ. Because the, the Greek word uh, for Christ is anointed one. The anointed one. That's what it means. Christ is the anointed one. I, I don't know. You know, I, I think Christ in Greek, Christos or something like that. That means the anointed one. So what happens when you get attached to the anointed one? You get anointed. God anoints us in Christ. The one who has anointed us is God. The one who has attached us unto Christ, has anointed us, is God. So the anointing is a spontaneous issue of this attachment to Christ. Okay? With the anointing, we have the very essence of God. With the anointing, we have God himself. Okay? So in verse 22, he goes on and he says, Maybe I'll just quickly mention this. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. So you'll notice in verse 21, he says, who firmly attaches us. Okay, that's present tense. But then he says, has anointed us. That's past tense. Okay, so when did God anoint us? Well, who's the anointed one? Christ, right? So Christ, he is the anointed one. So when it's like that, that, that Psalm in uh, Psalm 133. The anointing comes upon Aaron's head, right? And it runs down, down his beard, down his garments, even to the hem of his garment, okay? So the whole body gets anointed. The whole body gets anointed by being attached to the head. The head is anointed. The, the head is the one who's anointed. The, 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 the anointing is, is poured onto the head. But then in 1 Corinthians, it says we are members of Christ, so now we're part of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So because we're members of the body and the anointing is running down the anointed one, we're anointed with Christ. So this happened when Christ was anointed, right? But then our attaching happens in time. When we believe into the Lord Jesus, that's when that our experience of that joining to Christ, our attaching, then becomes real to us. Okay, then in verse 22, another very profound verse. He says, he who has also sealed us and given the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So this sealing is really not different from the anointing. It is also as a result of the anointing. When you have a, have a, have a uh, envelope, a letter, and you seal it, you put some ink or some uh, something on it, and then you put a stamp, maybe a rubber stamp, and that stamp has a kind of an image, right? So that image gets impressed onto that onto that letter, and it becomes a seal. It becomes an image, an impression. So what God is doing is is he's he's anointing us, he's supplying us with the essence of God, and then that essence gets stamped, it gets sealed, it has an image, it becomes something that that expresses Christ, the image of Christ. That is the sealing who has sealed us 
So the sealing also is no different from the anointing. So all of this is just as a result of being attached to Christ. When God attaches us to him, we're joined to the anointed one. The anointing brings the essence, which then gets sealed unto us, unto us, which brings with it the image of Christ. Then he goes on to say, he's given to us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This pledge is a guarantee. It's a foretaste of God being our inheritance. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that one day we will have the greatest inheritance that anybody could ever, even no man would ever dream of this or come up with this in their hearts. This pledge is God himself. This is what the Spirit is conveying to us in our hearts. All the promises of God is yes in him. Everything that God has for us is yes in him. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's in you. It's in the Lord. So the pledge is given to us that we would have this kind of a guarantee, that we would have a fortress, that we, we, we would have this enjoyment even now. Even now, we can have a taste. This is what we're going to receive one day. We're going to have the full taste of the pledge of this triune God, the God who attaches us to Christ, giving to us the spirit as a pledge. Okay, I want to read us just a footnote. Here. I'll just read this very quickly. Um, then Brother John can carry on. Um, he says here this uh, in footnote 22.3, the seal is a mark that marks us out as God's inheritance, God's possession, as those who belong to God. The pledge is an earnest guaranteeing that God is our inheritance or possession and belongs to us. The spirit within us is the pledge and earnest of God as our portion in Christ. God's attaching us to Christ issues in three things. One, an anointing that imparts God's element into us. So that's the anointing. The one who has anointed us is Christ, okay? So God's attaching us. This is all as a result of God attaching us. So what happens when God attaches us? It issues in three things. The anointing imparts God's element, imparts God's element, elements into us. A ceiling that forms the divine elements into an impression to express God's image. So now not only do you have the, the essence, the, the kind of the supply, but you now, that supply gets shaped into an image that expresses God. And three, a pledge that gives us a foretaste as a sample and guarantee of the full taste of God. Through these three experiences of the anointing spirit, with the experience of the cross, the ministry of Christ is produced. Right? We, we spoke about this last week, how God is wanting to produce ministry in us, something that will minister to the saints and supply the saints with Christ himself that will build up his church. This is the way, right? He anoints us. He, he attaches us. This attachment brings the anointing. The anointing gets impressed into us as a seal. 
And then with that, we get the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. These three things, eventually, as we experience this, uh, with the experience of the cross, the ministry of Christ is produced. Amen. Hallelujah. May we all experience this wonderful attachment that we have in, with God. Amen. Okay, Brother John, you can continue, brother. Amen. Well, it's quite a good quite a revelation when Adrian explaining how Paul, because being delayed and then caused some saints in Corinthians, he start complaining. Paul, what's wrong with you? Are you coming or not? You say you're coming, but why are you not coming? And if I were Paul, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because of traffic, something happened. And But Paul, he did not just apologize. Rather, he write Second Corinthians full of revelation. He's not, uh, if you heard how Adrian explained this part, he said um, uh, that promise of coming is the promise of God. He leads people to God. He did not lead people to all the rights and wrongs. This is Paul's ministry. Yes, he did not come right away. He delayed. But through this, he has a lot of revelation. He said, this is our God. Our God's promise is everything is yes. It's not wishy-washy. This is full of revelation. I'm so enlightened by this part. What that verse now? In verse 117, this therefore intending, did I then use fickleness or the things which I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. No. He said, God is faithful. Our word toward you is not sometimes yes and sometimes no. And then he said, Corinthians, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you through us. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, preached to you through me, Silvanus, through Timothy, we all preach the same thing. It did not come, become yes, and sometimes you know, <clears throat> but the word we preach is become yes in him. Like God promised, all what God promised in Christ, everything about Christ is become real. This is how Paul defined who God is. Not sometimes Yes, sometimes disappear, <clears throat> but what God promised, everything Christ is for us to receive and enjoy Christ in a real way. Okay? Just like a pen without a paper. Okay? Pen without the paper. This pen has not nowhere to write. <clears throat> and you cannot see what did he write. 
But with the paper, oh, then I see what try to express. God's promise in Christ is to us solidified what Christ to us. It becomes amen. That amen is the reality. God's promise is not just to say after them, happy, I promise anything to you. But all God promise in Christ become yes. God's promise Christ to us. And through our experience, enjoyment of Christ, that promise of Christ become amen in us. That is how Paul, he revealed to us. Don't talk about right and wrong wells where you're late and all this. But Paul direct them to Christ and direct them to God. I'm sorry, my internet is a bit slow. Maybe it's dragging. Uh, but Adrian, if it's something you want me to repeat, just please tell me. Because I will not notice if it's delayed. This is how Paul revealed what kind of God he enjoyed. This book is amazing. It is the biography of Paul. What kind of person is he? And, okay, you know, if you go to the footnote, okay, if you go to the footnote here in chapter 1, verse 9, okay, says again, okay, footnote 9, 1, sorry, sorry, footnote 1, verse 9, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, footnote 1. These five things you have to remember how Paul experienced Christ. Just remember the key words. It will help you to remember what kind of Christ that Paul experienced. Okay. And hopefully we all remember tonight, um, before we finish this part, we remember the five aspects of Christ that Paul experienced. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, not basing his confidence on himself, but on God. Number one, he experienced the God, the God who raised the dead. Did you see this? How he experienced? He experienced God, this very God, not only the creator, but the God who raised the dead. Many Christians. They just experience God who create the heavens, wonderful, beautiful heaven and earth. No, but God, Paul experienced the God who raised the dead. Okay. And number two is Christ. Okay. Christ being attached, the apostles to Christ and anointed and sealed by the Spirit and captured and subdued and led him to scatter the Savior. Did you see it? Number one, he experienced God who raised the dead. Number two, Paul, he experienced we, he being attached to Christ. And number three, spirit. God, Christ, spirit. Point three, being sufficient of Christ as the spiritual alphabet to write a living letter with the life-giving spirit of the living God. He experienced that the spirit, just like the ink writing in him, 
constituted into him. We're going to cover that next time. And number four is the shining of the glory of the new covenant. The shining. Number one is God. Number two is Christ. Number three is the Spirit. Number four is the, the shining of the covenant. This covenant is not a piece of concrete, but it's shining of the new covenant. And number five, Paul experienced that he's been transformed into the image of God from glory to glory. This is how Apostle Paul experiencing the God who he speak in the previous book, 1 Corinthians. All right, let's come back to this point. Okay, that how he experienced okay, um, the God who raised the dead, uh, just like he explained in chapter 1, verse 8. Yeah, he said, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our affliction, the difficulties, the suffering we go through when we were there in Asia, that we were excessively burdened beyond our capacity so that we despair even of living. We even lose the hope of living. We are going to die here. <laughs> and then he experienced, indeed, ourselves had the response of death in ourselves that we should not base our confidence on ourselves. Since this is every time we do not have confidence in ourselves. But our confidence is on God. We know he's the God who raised the dead. That is how he experienced. And second experience is being attached with Christ. Like what Adrian just mentioned to us. He explained to them, our God promised, our God promised, yes, it's Yes, all the things he promised is for us to enjoy Christ so that the Christ we enjoy become the amen. It becomes so real. Why God promised? Because God wants to write Christ into us. God wants to impart Christ into us. All the promise of God is Christ. Saints, God's promise is Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. Since Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise, how can that be yes and no? How can it just happen and nothing happen? No. He is the amen. God's intent, us, intent for us to gain Christ. And not only that he promised, and I love that verse, saints, 121, 1 to 1, you got to remember that verse. But the one who firmly attached us with you unto Christ, this is how God fulfilled his promise. Oh, I even didn't touch my part yet. <laughs> oh, when Adrian mentioned this, it's wonderful. He said, God attached us, the apostles. God attached the apostles with the believers. First, he attached the apostles. Through the apostles, he dispensed his promise 
he fulfilled his promise to us. Did you see him? Paul did not say, I touched you, but he attached us, the apostles, with you unto toward Christ. And he anointed us, he sealed us, and he pledged us. Just like the chapter, uh, Psalm 133. Psalm 133. The oil come from Aaron's head to the beard and to the garment and to the hem. Oh, don't think God just come in bucket of oil and just splash it into you. No. The oil come in order from the head first. Okay. From the head first and then to the beard. The beard referred to the mature one. Just like the apostles, the one that's very close to the face. Okay. The oil come from the head, Aaron's, which is typical of Christ, and through the apostles. I don't mean brothers, now we have to keep a long beard here, but we talk from the signs. That beard signify the maturity, the one that's close to the face. These are the apostles. And from the beard to the garment, and from garment to the further part, to the hem of the garment. This is how God fulfilled Christ in us. Paul said, our going is to bring the oil to you. <clears throat> is to make this promise of God solidified. <clears throat> become amen to you. <clears throat> this is... How Paul say our going is not after that I must go out tomorrow, I'm not going. No, 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 no. We're gonna fulfill God's promise in you. Sense of visitation is not just because today I want to drink some coffee. No, our visitation is to supply Christ, to make Christ become amen in you. This is Paul says. And through our visitation, just like the oil, we firmly attach with Christ and with you again unto Christ. Oh, this is a wonderful picture. And then God anoint us, seal us, and pledge us. Wow. Uh, Adrian already mentioned that part. That's wonderful. Let's come to the next part. I have to go quickly. We are run out of time. But this is so precious. Verse 23, Paul saying, Oh, but I call, I pray, I ask on God as a witness against my soul. Yeah. He said that to spare you, I have not yet to come to Cohen. I did not, not yet, not yet coming. Not because I'm thinking or I'm doubting, but I ask the Lord to witness for my soul. Oh, not to my spirit, but to my soul. That means my soul, the sincerity of my soul. He said, God, you have to accuse my soul if I speak something wrongly. Is that so? So spiritual, man? He was so spiritual. He asked God to charge, to accuse his soul if his soul is not sincere. That I did not come right away to Corinth. And rather, is because my soul wants to spare you. 
to spare you, is generous, okay? to, to be kind to you. Okay? This is a person, not because I make some excuse, but I delay my coming because in order to spare you, okay? I did not go right away. It's in order to care for you, spare. Okay? And was the right word of spare. Um, the apostle asked God witness to him, uh, would not come to basic Corinthians with the wrath of discipline, but with the spirit of meekness. Okay. And second, verse 24, I did not come right away because not that we lord over your faith. I do not want to come to you because you all say, now Paul, he got authority. Now he will come to make the decision. No, I don't want to go there because to Lord, I don't want to Lord over your faith. But we are fellow workers with you for your joy. And number three, we rather go when we feel we are fellow workers. Sometimes people say, come, come. When you come, we can make the decision. Then I will not go. I don't want to lord over your faith. Don't pause it. Wow, you all listen to me. I will be the one who make the decision. Wow, wow. Okay, come, come. Let's, let's, let me tell you the decision. Pause it. God will judge, accuse my soul. That I go there, with, number one, with meekness. Number two, I go there not to lord over you. Number three, I go there. I want to be fellow workers with you. When we become fellow workers, then you'll be strengthened. Oh, okay. Praise the Lord. This is so good. And then chapter 2, verse 1. But I determined, oh, Paul, I thought you want us, you want God to charge over soul. Now you're using your soul to make decisions. But I determined this for myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. I don't want to come in sorrow. Saints, mm -hmm. we don't want to come to meet the saints in sorrow. When you're sorrowful, don't bring sorrowful to the saints. Paul, he knows he want to go in the right spirit. Okay, I go quickly. For if I cause you sorrow, who then is the one who makes me glad, except the one who is made sorrowful by me. If I make you sorrow, then no one make you, makes you, no one makes you glad. That means if I make you sorrow, everybody sorrow. And I wrote this very thing to you in the first Corinthians, that when I come, I would not have sorrow from those who must make me happy. Having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. When I'm happy, you're all happy. Paul have this kind of spirit, have this kind of heart. He knows when I'm sorrow, you all of you sorrow. But when I'm joy, all of you will joy. Saints, this should be our spirit. When we're happy, then all the saints are happy. For out of affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you through many tears. 
Not that you may sorrowful, but you would know the love that which I have more abundantly toward you. When I write that letter to you, I write with anguish, with affliction, with tears, okay? not to make you sorrow, but I want to impress you. Corinthians, I love you. The word that he wrote is so heavy. You know what? In verse 6, I skip verse 5. Um, sufficient for such a one in this punishment by the majority. Paul said, uh, that's enough. That's enough. Uh, such a one by the punishment of by the majority. Yeah. Did you see yeah. Paul? After he wrote the first letter, and then many saints encouraged this brother, and he received a lot of punishment. Paul said, That's enough. And um, so that the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Wow. Because that brother who commit the sin, okay. And Paul write to the church in Corinth, very heavy, very heavy. This brother, he commits sin. Not only commits sin, he legalized his failure. Saints, if you commit sin, we need the Lord's blood to cover us. When you commit the sin, your failure, if you legalize it, this is why Paul, his word is very heavy. And this brother, which is in Corinth, which was in Corinth, he's, he commit, or he slept with his stepmother. He commits such a kind of sin. Okay. And this sin is not only committed sin, and he legalized this, speak this in the church, try to legalize this kind of failure. Oh, what's wrong? This, did you see this today? Since we have to look, test it, be the Lord proper testimony. But this brother even commit this kind of sin and he legalized it, he public, he, he justified this thing. Look, the heavy word of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul saying, What? This kind of sin? You justified it? The church justified this kind of sin. Where is your discernment? Look, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's word is so heavy. Paul did not say, oh, love this brother. No, we have to love one another. Um, people also fail. No, 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 no. Look, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul saying, it is actually reported that there is fornication among you. And such fornication that does not even occur among the Gentiles. And that someone has his stepmother. He, he got his stepmother. And you are puffed up. And he feels this is right. And have you not rather mourned? The church in Corinth, you never mourn for this kind of weakness. 
that the one who has done this might be moved from among you, your midst. Paul said, excommunicate him. You should not come to the table meeting. You are not mourned and you are puffed up. Oh, we have this brother. Uh, he's still a good brother. No. Look, Paul's word is so heavy. Paul said in verse 3, For I, if it's me on my part, even though I'm absent, not there in my body is not there, but my spirit is there with you. I've already judged this brother. As if I'm being in like in among you, him who has done these things. Even I'm not there, but my spirit already judged this one. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you and my spirit have been assembled with the power of our Lord Jesus, Paul said to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Let his flesh suffer, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay. Wow, that's heavy. Okay. And after Paul wrote this first letter, then many, let's come back to 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 6. Paul said, that's enough, that's enough. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment by majority. Many people come to judge over him because of first epistles. Then Paul saying, so that the contrary, you should rather forgive. Okay, this time we forgive him. Comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with excessive sorrow. Now, the whole church in Corinth, because of 1 Corinthians, everybody becomes so angry. Why this brother stay here? Every girl, buddy, go okay. to speak to this brother. You should never do this. You should not puff up yourself in this kind of weaknesses. <laughs> Verse 8, therefore I exhort you to confirm your love toward him. Paul said, please. Let him know that we still love him. After we judge him, you can judge, but you just this thing. But we still have to love our brother. That matter must be judged. But this brother must be loved. Amen. Saints, then we have to have this kind of proper discernment. Sometimes we he did not judge, but we hate that brother. It's opposite. Paul said, on one hand, we have to judge this matter. We cannot justify this kind of sick weakness. But this brother, we have to remind him and let him confirm our love toward him. Not because we hate him, but we cannot justify this kind of practice. Verse 9. For to this end also I wrote that I might know your approvedness. Approvedness. And you know, that footnote is, I write this letter is, and your response prove that you're obedient. This is a test to you. I write this letter to test 
whether you obedient to this divine arrangement or not. But you all obedient and you've been approved. Been obedient in all things. Saints, obedient is the sweet virtue of humanity. Christ, as God became a man, he even learned to be obedient. That obedient is the preeminence of God's life has been manifest. And, um, that is the saints still stand for God's interest for his preeminence. The saints did not say, oh, we this is a good brother. Okay. The church is not siding, you know, siding, go to the other side. Okay. Regardless how good or how bad is this brother, but the church is obedient to the apostle, to the one who have the face close to the face of Christ. Okay. You know, uh, many times the church rise up some turmoil, rise up some problem because of siding. Stand on this side, they did not being approved with the obedience to God's designated uh, rule. Verse 10 is the wonderful verse here. But whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. This is 2.10. Paul saying, forgive him, forgive him. I already test you, and you all pass the test. You all, the church in Corinth, you pass the test. You are obedient in all things. Now, Paul in verse 10, he said, whom you forgive anything, write down anything, not anyone, huh? anything. You forgive anything, I also forgive. For also what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your sake in the person of Christ. Underline, in the, your sake in the person of Christ. I forgive in the person of Christ. And that person of Christ, look, footnote 10, 3. Saints, you have to get this Bible, footnote 10, 3. Such a good footnote. Face in the face of Christ. Is a, that face is referring to the part around the eyes. That, man, that appearance, the look, as the index of the inward thought of the feeling. Yeah. Paul is saying, for me, I will never forget. No, I will never forgive this brother. And I forgive this brother because I live in the presence of Christ. I live in the surrounding index, surrounding expression of Christ's eyes. And when I try to judge over this brother, so-called in the church, when I look at Christ, and then Christ give me an expression, just forgive him. Okay. Just forgive. Paul said, Me, I will not forgive. But when I look at the index of Christ's eyes, you know, an index is there are many muscles here. I don't know how many muscles, but the expression of our soul, the expression of our inner part, everything can seen in this part. 
I don't know, but that's what Paul said when I saw the surrounding area of Christ's eyes. I don't know how Christ explains, but Paul understands he can read Christ's index of his eyes. He can read. Oh, this is wonderful. Show forth and manifest the whole person. This indicates that apostle was one who lived and acted in the presence of Christ, according to the index of his whole person expressed in his eyes. Okay. Let's go to the other part. This is jump. I don't know how many lines you have to jump. In the middle of that footnote, in the middle of that page, he said thus, he wrote a epistle to comfort and encourage them in a very personal, tender, and affectionate way, in such way that his epistle can be considered to some extent his biography, his autobiography. Here, pick up your pen. In this book, in it, we see, number one, right number one, a person who lived Christ according to what he wrote concerning him in the first epistle. That's number one. Okay. It's a person. What kind of person? He's a person who lived according to the Christ that he described. Okay. And... In the closest and most intimate contact with him, acting according to the index of his eyes. Did you see? It's a person that contact the Lord, even understand the index of his eyes. And number two, is a person who was one with Christ and full of Christ and saturated with Christ. Number one, what kind of person is a person that contact the Lord? Number two, he's a person that full of Christ, saturated with Christ. And number three, he is a person who was broken and even terminated in his natural life. This is Paul. He is a person who contact the Lord, who contact Christ. Number two, he's being filled with Christ. And number three, he's a person being broken by Christ. And that broken by Christ can be seen in the following signs. Number one, okay, after he's been broken and terminated, his natural life, and then he become softened and flexible in will. Before we broken, our will was so stubborn, but now after broken, his will becomes soft and flexible. Why we get offended in the church life? Because we are not flexible. Our will so hard, but after he broken, his will. Be Become soft and flexible. 
Some people, they have no flexible. <laughs> they are the one who got offended. And number two, his emotion is affection, yet restricted. You know, affection is hard, full of affection, yet restricted. This is a person that okay, been broken, just like Joseph, when he was in the prison in Egypt or in Pharaoh palace. On one hand, he saw his brother, he's excited, yet he is restricted. Oi, who are you? You all are spy. Then he go back to the room and he cried. <laughs> and come out, watch his face, come out. Hey, <clears throat> you, see, you see, this is something, a sign of maturity. Of their emotion is affection, full of feeling, full of love, yet restricted. And number three, a mind that is considered and sober. Sober is self-restraint. Sometimes people mind just like wild horse, keep running, no sober. Okay. Um, it's brain scattered, not considered, but brain scattered just everywhere. Okay. No. And then no control, but someone has been broken. Their mind is considerate and sober. Where to think, where to stop. Sometimes people think too far, become all kind of imagination. That is mind is considerate and sober in mind. And then the last one, spirit is pure and genuine spirit toward the believers. These are a person who have been broken. His spirit is genuine and pure toward the believers. No bias, no additional side motive, but pure and genuine toward believers of their benefit. That they might experience and enjoy Christ as he did for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. This is a very helpful footnote. Paul, because he looked, he did, he responds according to the face of Christ. The face of Christ expressed in the surrounding index of his eyes. And Paul experienced this very Christ. By experiencing this Christ, he been and been broken in the Lord. Okay. This is the one how he tell the Corinthians believers that he didn't delay his going because he lived in the presence of Christ. Number one, he is God is just one to us to enjoy Christ. And second, Paul shows us. I not live according to my excuse and to all the reason I live according to the index of Christ. Even that brother, I'm going, I don't want to go in sorrow. You better forgive him. If you forgive him, I forgive him also, but I forgive him in the face of Christ. Paul just tell them how he enjoyed in Christ's presence. He enjoyed in the face of Christ, even in his delaying, 
He enjoyed the face of Christ, just like Moses up in the mountain. God's people say, when are you coming down? Moses said, I'm still enjoying God's presence. <laughs> and don't make golden calder. God's people, they say, Moses, are you waiting long here? Moses said, I still enjoy God's face. Oh, praise the Lord, saints. Amen. What a wonderful biography. It is just an opening. And this is just an introduction of his letter. 